And there we go, everyone. We are back again for another fantastic conversation on Friday Night Counter-Attack. This week is a very monumental week because Manchester United have won a game. We've got rid of our defeated streak of three games losing in a row. We won 1-0 against Burnley away from home with Bruno Fernandes scoring an amazing volley in the first half before having a struggle against this Vincent Company Burnley side. But it's a great day to be a Manchester United fan. It's just not. It's just... Uh, Joshua, this is our expectations for the season now. We're going to expect more defeats than losses. And everyone, um, yes, we've got Joshua back on the podcast after a really good reception for Joshua last time. Around. Thank so Joshua, nice to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for pleasure, uh, pleasure. joining us again. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, good, good that United have got a victory now. I'm on the pod because the last time is the back of that horrible at Spurs defeat, which, oh dear. you know, I, I still feel is the lowest point of our season, I'll be honest with you, because I left that game thinking, where are we going? But yeah, you know, it was nice that we got a win against Burnley. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he did. Son didn't score that day, if I don't. He didn't, right. he didn't, but I'm just I'm remembering that celebration against uh, Arsenal, which we'll get onto in a second. That's foreshadowing there, Joshua. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy with Fernandez. I like the changes in the midfield, which is quite nice, but generally getting the win is important because imagine if we just we didn't get that victory over um Burnley, which is a hard place to go to. I don't think they've had the start they should have in terms of the wins they've got. Um, but yeah, it's good. I would say good times. It's just about surviving, isn't it, day to day? Yeah, got to stay away from Chelsea. That's all I'm saying these days. You can't be in the Chelsea. <laughs> There's always someone else doing poorer in your life, unfortunately. People. I need it to be Chelsea all the time. It needs to be done because Liverpool are flying this season. They're oh. beating, so we can't even talk about Liverpool in a bad way. Uh, someone who last season predicted Liverpool would come back up over Chelsea, uh, Masuki. So, Suki, good to have you back on the podcast, my friend. I saw you've been travelling recently and it's good to see you experiencing football culture elsewhere in Europe. So, good to have you back on. How have you been, my friend? It's good to see you. I know it's been a while, man. I've, I've missed you guys. I keep keeping in touch in the WhatsApp group and, and, and whatnot. But um, I miss yeah, you so much. Really good to see you guys after a while. Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. Likewise, I'm, I'm I'm literally. I was thinking. I was I was there in Amsterdam, thinking, oh, I need a I need another away day with uh, Hams and Travis and the rest of the guys. So, yeah, we need to we need to plan one real soon. But yeah, pleasure to be back. Nice. How you guys been anyway? I've been very good. Um, it's been good to be back as well. Starting university next week. I've got my new role at, um, at an undisclosed location, which I will tell Joshua after the podcast, but Secure you know, nice. which is going quite well. So Stockley really happy. Yeah, Stockley Park, VAR again. I'm, see- I'm seeing you <laughs> in the hallways, Joshua. You'll be seeing me. I'll be there. Talking You're at Stockley everyone. Park now? I'm not, I'm not. Oh. Undisclosed location, which I'll say later. <laughs> but if it was Stockley Park, we'd be getting some more VAR calls. <laughs> and, um, one VAR call we've got to start with this, this time around. It's not going to be a Man United one. It's going to be a Spurs one. Suki, talk to me about how in the North London derby, you had a handball in the box um, against, uh, I think it was Romero, and he handballed it and it became a penalty for Arsenal. But when Romero handballed it against Manchester United and Garnacho took the shot, it wasn't a penalty. Could you explain the difference? I knew yeah, I knew you was going to say that. I knew it because I've seen, I seen all United fans send me the same photo and it's like, the thing is, is what, what do you expect? I mean, the level of like, incompetency between the, these four officials that we've got in Stockley Park, it's it's just whoever you get on the day, isn't it? It depends on who you get. And Joshua, you, you have know, a you've got someone that's quite dodgy at giving decisions. <laughs> yeah, you might as well just start smashing the ball at people's hands in the middle of the box and you'll get a penalty. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally that, Amazon. It's a, 
uh, yeah, it's one of those things. It's just it's just on the day and who you get in the behind the, behind the screens really, and whoever you get is going to give you a pen, and some are more lenient, some are not. So it's such a hit and miss. I'll tell you what, yeah, it's such a hit and miss. It's not about your verdict on it. It's crazy these days because you're just literally there. Like you don't want to celebrate a goal just in case something bad happens. You don't want to celebrate a tackle just in case something bad happens, and you don't want to celebrate even let's say a last minute winner in case something bad happens and it's happened from time to time and it's quite worrying how there's no consistency in Europe and in domestic football compared to what we've seen because um, with Christian Eriksen having the handball against Bayern Munich fair enough Europe have always been consistent with that but Premier League has never been consistent with it year in year out they're changing their rules year in year out the, the offside in the Burnley game for Johnny Evans's goal um, he was offside but um, Nathan Ake Joshua wasn't offside for that game that goal against Fulham for Manchester City and yeah. Manchester City got away with it. What's that all about, yeah. Joshua? I know that's that, that's the inconsistency throughout the season's been really a game week by week, and they're correcting it. Nick, after after game week, look at that Nathan Ake goal against against Fulham, wasn't it? Um, it shouldn't stand, which is an easy decision, by the way, because handball was subjective. You know, handball. Um, I actually like the European rule, even though it's silly in my opinion, because if you look at Christian Eriksen, he's jumping, it's unnatural, his hand's just there. But you know, if that ball hits a player's hand, it's a pen. And that's just, in, that's across the board. You kind of, Eric's, you're in it to win it. In the Premier League, you'll see Romero one, and we may see it this week, and it probably won't even be given, if I'm being honest with you. There's been so many incidents where it, you just, you just, you never know. It's a lottery. It's a lot, like, like you said, it depends who's at, the, at Stockley Park who's in control and um, what's happening. But, you know, two seasons ago, if you handled the ball um, or uh, you handled the ball leading to the goal, it was ruled out. Or if someone handled the ball, but it passed it, it's ruled out. But now if they handled it and you pass it and someone's got it's a goal, those sort of things just make it unnecessary. And, and yeah, it does make it difficult to celebrate a goal, man. And the rare was a penalty, though. His hand is up a bit too high unnatural you've seen them's given I think that is a, it's, it's directly at goal and so is the Ganacho one I found it so funny that there was no debate but it's predictable in it's main height though yeah Onana's Onana's push against Wolves I've seen that more times I've seen any any goal this 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 calendar year and we've never seen a goalkeeper push I mean it could have been given as a pen which is fair but the Romero one was definitely um, a penalty for Ganacho but we move you move you know you, you, know, you move <laughs> My favourite was last season when Nick Pope got sent off against Liverpool and the whole media, yeah. like even Gary Lineker, were like, oh, let him play in the Carabao Cup finals. Worked his whole career for it. And you're just kind of there like, if that was David De Gea last season, they'd be like, oh, no, it was fine. It was reckless. It was disgusting. But depends on who the narrative fits. And it fits the Saudi Arabian-owned Newcastle United. So it's yeah. good to see who they're back in these days as well. But um, we're going to have to go circle back to the North London derby because what a game of football that was from a neutral point of view. Uh, hands up, I was listening to the first half on the radio on the way to my brother's house and the second half I got to watch properly as well. So it, say, it seemed like the best game to watch in the first half and the second half. But Suki, talk to me from a Spurs perspective. How good of a performance was that from Spurs to go away from home to Arsenal, your North London rivals, and get a point in terms of the fact that not even getting a point, but having some subjects of control over parts of that game as well, from my opinion. What did it feel like for you? Yeah, no, definitely. I think I think we were all surprised. I think a lot of people expected us to revert to type, like how we have played with Conte and Mourinho, sit back with a 4-5-1, sit deep, and then try and get them on the counter-attack. But fair play to Postacoglu, the way he set up the team. We, we progressed forward. We wanted to attack. 
And I think what made the difference for us between kind of having like the Conte team last year is that we had James Madison. So that having that number 10 pushing further up the pitch and making players push forward as well and hit the press, I think it worked wonders for us. And I think with the, the level again that we now have that style of football that we're trying to implement throughout the kind of six games that we're unbeaten now, you're starting to see that we're not afraid now to go against the big against the big teams and like play that style of football. So I was quite impressed actually, and I think just watching them and the way that we bounced back from going a goal or well, two goals down really, and getting that equaliser so quick as well, especially with Son playing up front by himself. I mean, it speaks wonders to to how the teams improved and how they're playing. And um, again, I wasn't expecting us to play like that. Uh, but at the same time, you could see there were some defensive frailties from Arsenal. So it's, it's kind of, I'm kind of glad that we have got that point. Uh, it is a difficult place to go there because we haven't won there since 2010. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just watching us play, I was, quite, I was quite happy, quite proud with the lads. We had we had really good chances to to score even more goals. I mean, like Brendan Johnson's uh, shot to uh, Reyes save, which was a quality save, by the way. But you could tell that we were like really going for them. And I think tail end of that kind of first half, you could tell that we were coming into the game. But second half, I think we had a bit of a window of opportunity. I reckon about the 70th or the 80th minute when they were starting to tire is when we could have made some changes, like putting Ritalison on a lot quicker and then start pushing up the pitch to try and get that kind of winner or try to progress or even even getting another couple of goals. But I think the way that they Arsenal were controlling the game, dictating it, and then obviously having possession towards that kind of 10 to 15 minute period, they did quite well. But I think you could see the stubbornness from kind of see Tottenham with the defence and not letting them through. And I think Arsenal were missing key players, by the way, like with Martinelli and Trossard being out. And you could tell that then that left-hand side was a bit neglected the way that they normally play, uh, which obviously worked in, worked well for us, really, in our favour. Uh, but yeah, other than that, it was a quality game. It was really entertaining. You had, you had a bit of drama. I mean, Eddie, Eddie and Kett should have been sent off, to be honest. On that I agree. Vicario, so. I agree. That was yeah. an awful tackle. And the fact that they never went to VAR as well for reckless play was embarrassing in the Stockley Park. And, Joshua, I, I'm going to keep coming to you for Stockley Park because we know that you work there as well. I'm not involved, Obviously, man. Not in the same building, we know, but you should get the access codes. You should know where they're going for on their lunch breaks as well. You should know these things, Joshua, by now. I'm trying, um, man. I'm trying. You'll, you'll get the information sooner rather than later, which will be great. And um, just on the flip side from what Suku said about Arsenal, what was your perspective on, from Spurs, sorry, what was your perspective on Arsenal and how they played with the two strikers Fabio Vieira starting and Declan Rice being subbed off. And that was a big drop in quality from Declan Rice being subbed off for Jorginho. Um, so let me hear your thoughts on Arsenal in that North London derby, uh, Joshua, from your point of view. I think Arsenal were pretty disappointing, I have to be honest with you. And I think they've been disappointed by their standards from last season in their first six games. Um, if we look at it in our whole, we'll, we'll get to the North London derby, not in Forest random close open day of the season. Um, I was at the Crystal Palace Arsenal game. Crystal Palace very toothless. They got a, a well worked goal, which led to a penalty. Well worked move that led to a penalty, um, and then they drew nil nil to Ful- or two two to Fulham, uh, and Fulham were down to ten players and they struggled to break them down. And then we all know what happened against Man United, where they got the victory, but an inch away from defeat, uh, and they just about beat a poor Everton side. So going to the derby, not playing well. And as Suki said, they have a fantastic record over Tottenham. Twenty ten um, is the last time Tottenham went there and won. And you're expecting them to, yes, they've got injuries, no Martin Trossard, but it's still a dominant, more cohesive side than Tottenham have been. This is a manager that's just come in the summer. Arteta's, you know, fifth season, fourth full season now in charge. And they've just been disappointing, I have to be honest with you. Um, they started the first 20 minutes really well. I think off the ball, they're great this year, I have to, have to say. They, all they do really well. Spurs had a lot of possession, which was pleasing. But they struggled in transitions with Son and Johnson, Kudovesky in the first 30 minutes, really struggled 
to create opportunities. I think Suki would agree with that, just in terms of Spurs were having possession, but it was kind of like Man United, it meanless. And, and I have to say, credit to Arsenal. They're just staying in the game a little bit, like a boxer, where they're just jabbing a little bit and then they just get a hit. So they get a corner after corner. And you look at the goal, Saka, their own goal from Romero. It comes from a swift play uh, from the left, Zijenko. Spurs lose out, gets to Odegaard, plays to Saka. And one nil, you're thinking, okay, come and take the game to Spurs. You're taking the lead without not really doing much, and that's credit to them because they're they're a good side. I think we all had the perception of Arsenal last couple of years. They're they're very good, and that, that's that's reality. So when they're not performing, you are a bit surprised. Um, and then they, the way they reacted to to going one when it was one all, and then yes, you know, Jorginho makes a mistake, and it just becomes a bit more scrappy in the in the second half and Arsenal at home they concede so many goals a major probably last year they concede really early and um, which would be worrying for Arsenal and Arsenal supporters the mentality because you have to be honest with yourself you're, they're not playing the same intensity um, speed attractiveness they were playing a year ago and when Spurs are coming to your patch and they're bopping the board around and you're worried outside the Jesus Robin Madison what do they create in that game and, that, and that's that, and that's telling you know, what clear opportunity did they create? I remember Richarlison having a shot at the end. Maybe Saka had a, a little sight of it, but Vicario was comfortable. So it was a worrying performance from Arsenal. But at the same time, I'm saying it's worrying. They could have nicked it. The amount of corners they had, a set piece here, a set piece there. Um, you know, Martin, they have got injuries, yes. Uh, especially in that attacking area. And that's what makes them, you know, a very, very good Premier League football club. And, you know, they'll be up there to, to compete for the title, definitely top four. Because they have to be at their best. And you have Spurs played very well. They still didn't beat Arsenal, you know, and Arsenal didn't play well and they got the point. So, yeah, it's a bit of balance for you. <laughs> no, this is where I have to ask the question about a certain attacking midfielder who's come under scrutiny and rightly so um, under scrutiny this weekend is Martin Odegaard. And when you look at how James Madison played in his first North London derby for Tottenham Hotspur, he looked like he ran the show for Tottenham, respectively pressing Jorginho for that second goal for Song and being so unselfish in that manner as well. Not really not really putting a foot wrong besides that Gabriel Jesus thing, which could have cost him and he could have become the villain uh, for a lot of Spurs fans in that game as well, which would have been crazy. But but Martin Odegaard, when the going got tough for him in that game, he would always, he wouldn't go back to his normal self of attacking, of showing a bit of flair, showing a bit of composure going forward. He'd always kind of pass it over to Havertz, who'd look for Vieira, look for Declan Rice, Jorginho, play it to the sides and that's where you wanted some ownership from Martin Odegaard. You wanted him to go on the outside of the box. You wanted him to take on a half turn um, and take on Saar and Basuma. But Suki, it looked like Basuma had him on lock in that second half in terms of how Basuma grew into the game. And Saar was ever present in that midfield. And I thought that was an exciting midfield battle in that second half. What was your thoughts on that, Suki, with Odegaard? Yeah, definitely. I've been, I've, the thing is, I've got, I've got to give credit to to Arsenal. I mean, look, at the end of the day, they had a midweek game against PSV. Far and they won 4-0. It is taxing no excuses. On the body, no like, excuses with that one. They they're gonna have that for the whole season. Let's bully Arsenal as much <laughs> yeah, as no, possible. No, Champions like, League. Now nah, definitely, but this is what I mean. I mean, from from a Tottenham point, we look more fresh, right? Because we haven't played for pretty much a, a whole seven days, and you can tell by the, the looks of Saar and Basuma, we're running up and down the pitch and just chasing them and blocking off those avenues where you'd expect them to 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 get through. And I think when you watch Odegaard, and I've always said it. He's always lingering on that right-hand side near Saka, trying to do the, his kind of usual link-up play. And it's like I was saying before, with Martinelli being on the left-hand side, it always gets neglected. And I think with Odegaard, I think that balance of, I mean, not the balance, the difference between him and Madison is with Madison, you're seeing him going from left to right through the middle. He's all, he's all action. And I think with Odegaard, I think he particularly chooses where he wants to be. And I think for him, he had to kind of now 
flex his muscles a bit more to kind of focus on moving across. If the tone, if the going gets tough on one side of the pitch, go on the other side of the pitch and start attacking the right back and then go back to the left back when they get tired. So I think um, a bit more kind of like you say, like that game management across would obviously do quite well because he's a quality player, right? He's, he's not like he's terrible. He's a good player. And I think for him, just spreading himself around the pitch and linking up with different players, I think that would obviously give more opportunities for Arsenal to get in there. But I think one one thing that was telling, and I don't know if I think Josh would probably agree as well, is that when you watch Arsenal, having that ball, pinging it across, there was just no one in the box. Yeah. There was not a single Arsenal player in that box. And you're just and looking at it and you're seeing exactly and you've got three you've got three Arsenal players on the left near our right back and you've got two on the other side on the right. And then in case there's nowhere near the middle between the two centre backs to get on an end of a cross or a near near post finish. And I think that was quite telling there. And I think uh, from the, from what I've heard in the rumours that Arsenal are looking for another number nine. So, um, but yeah, I think from what you're watching there with Odegaard, I think he needs to be across the front three a lot more fluid rather than just being on one selective area. But um, yeah, watching them, they, they really badly need that number nine because the way that Jesus and, and, and NK2 were playing, I, I get the link-up play and how they build it up, but it's just very heavy... To, to one side of the pitch rather than being through the middle where they could cause more danger and obviously score more goals because they've got the quality they're not they're not rubbish but yeah I don't know about Joshua if you if you if you think the same when when you was watching it no, yeah, like yeah, yeah 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 no, I agree with you I think it's weird it's kind of Arteta last 12 months it's very much especially against the top side he wants the opposition to have the ball he's happy to not dictate that whereas last year he would like to go toe to toe um, with, like I say, a Man City and Manchester United or Spurs impose themselves. And that helps. So you've got Nketiah and you've got Jesus because you're able to you know, connect around the box, which creates more opportunities. Odegaard's there to pick it up outside um, the area. Without Martini and Saka, they suffer without having that. You know, Martini and Saka are their strikers. You know, they've got how many goals last year did Benfrey get? A plus 15. A lot. And so Jesus and Nketiah, they need to get double figures for them to compete in Manchester City. But the moment you get a few injuries or Saka's level drops, and it hasn't dropped in terms of his numbers, but let's say his intensity's dropped, you're looking at that central area, but it's it's going to be the right forward. I'm not too convinced Ivan Tony's going to be the one, because everybody's talking about Ivan Tony, he's a marvellous, marvellous Premier League footballer. Um, at the moment, he's not available, obviously, due to his ban. He's, you know, apparently, it's 50 million to price been quoted, which would be a bug in my opinion. But is he going to be the one that way Arsenal play? You think about Martelli. I could be wrong. I want to hear your guys' opinion on this and in the comments and everything. But with, you know, Tony, the link-up play is so key with Martinelli and, and Saka. Jesus last year, before he got injured in the World Cup, was excellent. Arsenal were really good to watch and, and thrilling. I don't know what forward would come in there, but I don't think it's an easy fix in terms of your question, just get a number nine and, you're so, and it's yeah. solved. It is about the right number nine. And it's solved. You can't just because if you if you were to throw Harland to Arsenal, you still get goals because Harland's an incredible striker. But it's someone like Nunez is quite lively for Liverpool, for example, going down the channels. That's the type of striker you probably would you'd want more for Arsenal than Ivan Tony, who technically is he's off the scale, still bang, still get goals, still be fantastic and everything. Anthony Marshall is the guy that Arsenal need right now. That's all I'm saying. Who Tony? Anthony Marshall. <laughs> I'll drive him to the Emirates right Come now. On. This is this is what we're talking about. He's playing in the league cup game. Anthony Marshall Palace. to the Emirates right now. Take him there. We need we need to get rid of him. He, he'd be perfect. His link up play. You know. The, the thing is though, with, with Gabriel Jesus, I don't get why he got subbed off against um, Spurs. This is the last thing we're going to speak about Tottenham and Arsenal. But it's the it's the last. It's, it's, I don't get why he got subbed off and then Kessie stayed on because Gabriel Jesus. If you'd rather get the best out of Gabriel Jesus than you would of any Eddie and Ketia. 
And when you're playing him on the left against, um, remind me, it was, it wasn't Poro. against Pedro Porro. So yeah, Pedro Porro always had doubling up from Sar as well. So Jesus was just frustrated the whole game. And that's where his performances drop when his mind drops, Gabriel Jesus. So it goes to show that he didn't really have that. And that's why uh, Mikel Arteta subbed him off as well. But one left back from Spurs I need to talk about today is Serge Regulon, who's on loan at Manchester United and is having quite a good start to his career at Manchester United, kind of showing up the rest of the squad in terms of performances, in terms of effort, in terms of ability. Um, Joshua, I've got a concern mm. with Serge Regulon after having a couple of good games for Man United. There's rumours that we already want to make that deal permanent. Uh, is that the best way of going about it for Manchester United to get this permanent deal for Serge Regulon or should there be like Suki Suki would want to just drive him back to Manchester at the end of the summer like you stay there <laughs> you stay in M16 um, but yeah Joshua are you are you kind of not upset but kind of worried about these these reports of Regulon getting a permanent deal with Malassia in the squad who we signed last summer Luke Shaw who's been here for nearly 10 years now as well what's your thoughts on Serge yeah, I'm, so far? yeah I'll be concerned in terms of the permanent deal I'm delighted the way he started I think it's another classic example of someone not being around that Manchester United bubble of pressure, coming in with a point to prove. Um, it was kind of laughed, the transfer to Manchester United from Spurs fans, Atletico Madrid fans, which was fair because he has had produced a lot of poor performances for those clubs. But he's come in, he's been brilliant. Um, just bombing down that left-hand side. We know what he's not good at. We saw what Bayern Munich could get beaten in behind. But he can have a, a bit of end product. He can dash a ball in. He's, he's eager for a contract, you know, he's playing for that contract. So uh, it's not really a surprise that he's come in and performed really well. It's good because we need players that are going to do that. But it would be it's classic Manchester United under this ownership. Oh, yeah, he's done all right. He's, he's OK. He's here. He, he knows the players. Let's just sign him. So Five-year deal, 200k. Yeah, and, and then he'll just revert to type and it'd be awful. And we've seen the movie a hundred times and, and we're probably going to watch it again through Serge Reguilon, which is yeah. annoying. I'm not surprised to keep laughing because if I was a Spurs fan, even I saw, I spoke to Spurs fan on the weekend and you, you made a really good point. Even Basically, this is just getting, fight. this is just getting clipped off of you and I talking, Joshua, and just Suki just laughing at us in the yeah. background. It's like, <laughs> yeah. that's what Man United do. It's just, we get overexcited too easily, too early. I don't get what Richard Arnold is doing. I don't get why you'd want to hack into Serge Reguilon straight away because Suki and I, we went to Madrid last summer um, in May, actually. And we went, we went on a stadium tour of Atletico Madrid. And Serge Regulon was, didn't even have like a shirt on his, on his bit in, in the changing room. It's like, that's how much he wasn't rated, him and Matt Doherty. And you're just kind of there, like, with Serge Regulon. I get it's his, it's his like comeback. It's, it's his remondata, as they say in Spain. But Suki, realistically speaking, being the third choice left back for Spurs now at Manchester United, are you seeing, potential in terms of oh yeah we can get this sale done and Ange can spend that money elsewhere um next season or even oh, in January listen, for example. Listen, if if you want him for 20 mil, 25, 30, 40 mil, whatever you want to spend, because we know there's United tax there, so we could get 40 mil for him. <laughs> I'll personally drive him up there, I'll be honest, because at the end of the day, I don't I don't think anyone realizes this by the way. The reason why he's been so bad is because he he's he's suffered from long COVID. Obviously, no fault to his own, but he's just never recovered and got his fitness level back to where he should have been. And I think that's where he's kind of been downplayed and a lot of selections when he's played in friendlies with us uh, during pre-season. And if Ange is looking at it and saying the same thing where he's like not convinced by him and he's tailing out at, 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 after the end of, what, 70 minutes of a game, yeah. then he's not really value for money, right? So and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm more than happy for you guys to be ha happy with him. Uh, just be happy with him all the way till January and we can get the deal sorted. 
Uh, and then yeah, I mean, even Joshua, even for you to say, look, he's here in the car. I'll, I'll, I'll drop him to your house if you want. Nah, no, no, it's all right, man. He, <laughs> you know, he, yeah, he, he's injured at the moment. I think he's pulled his hamstring, so I think the shop window's closed. But hamstring, quite good. Could be another long <laughs> issue from all I can hear about as well, which is insane. Um, but no, someone who's just returned from injury from Man United. Um, as well is Sofian Amrabat Sofian Amrabat made his first yes. start for Manchester United um, tonight actually at the time of recording against Crystal Palace we've got two North African midfielders in our Manchester United side for the first time I think in, in, in ever really Hannibal Medjbury who had a really good game against um, Burnley at the weekend his first start scored against Brighton as a cameo sub appearance and Sofian Amrabat who's currently playing left back um, against Crystal Palace as well so Joshua last thing on Manchester United before we move on yeah we have all these midfielders right now. We yeah. are trying to fit them in, into a diamond formation. Ericsson Hag is, in a way, refusing to change from his methods and his style of play away from home, which is why we still continue to lose away from home. Is there a time now where we can see two proper good midfielders in Amrabat and Casemiro holding it down for us and then having just a one attacking midfielder in Mason Mount or Bruno Fernandes and then one on the wing? Or is it going to have to revert to this diamond formation where we're exposed on the wings all the time? We're not tracking back. What's your thoughts on this one right now, Joshua? Yeah, it was a bit weird because he played the diamond formation um, with Ericsson, Fernandes, Casemiro and McTominay against Brighton and then ripped it completely to shreds at, at, at Bayern and Burnley. So I, I didn't understand that. I think we'll... Amrabat's a fantastic signing for the solidity, for the dynamism he has in the midfield. He can break plays, got passing. It's something that we don't have in the midfield. I mean, Mount is probably his best position is 10 or on the right-hand side. We know Bruno Fernandez's vision is the 10. He's definitely not a David Beckham with that number seven. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no way. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he can put on the right due to our right winger issues that we've had, losing three players there for different issues. Um, four. But, four now, I would say. Like, yeah, there's there's so many there's so many issues with our right wingers. Like some of them aren't oh. even aren't even temporary; they're permanent ones, which are crazy. Oh god! Well, uh, Anthony, I, MG11, I think... Sancho. Oh my days! The list goes on. It's insane. I, I, I just insane. didn't want to name any of them. Really, I just thought the the unknowns. They're they're going to get bleeped out in the edit. That's all I'm saying. They're yeah, gonna oh, get bleeped out in the edit. Um, yeah, I think I think this. What what's really telling about Tenag's tenure is that he will see a player and he wouldn't uh, use him. And then once he plays him, he starts to go, oh, yeah, he can actually do okay for me. So we're seeing that of Hannibal at the moment where he came on against Brighton, scored a goal, um, didn't use him against Bayern, but had a really good game at Burnley starting tonight. And I think that that's nice because he wanted to get rid of McTominay. McTominay was on his way to West Ham. We didn't accept the deal. We wanted more money. Um, so I feel once we go into those those big six, top six games away from home, which we do struggle, having Amrabat next to Casemiro, having legs around Casemiro, is so important, but he, he has to adapt his tactics. We saw it to Spurs game where the play is just too far ahead and you're leaving Casemiro on an island. That's something that needs to be amended. But with Mount, Amrabat, Hannibal and Maynou, let's not forget Maynou, he's a fantastic youngster who we lost during the preseason tour, who Ten Hag's a major fan and he can play the six, he can play the eight. Dominated Mason, he dominated um, Declan Rice in that preseason. He dominated game Arsenal. Arsenal. Mm. So, so, somehow, our weakest positions in midfield is our strongest. But I think that's what's been frustrating this season. Context is key with Manchester United. Anyone would struggle, probably other than Manchester City in Europe, if you lose nine first team players. You know, it, 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 last 11 on in Saturday, total. 
Yeah, yeah. It's and well, 12, if you want to count the, the, the unknowns, the, that's what I call them, the unknowns. So 12 first team players. The asterisk so ones. Ahmed, I'm not going to list them all. But if you look at the weekend, if one of our players got injured, who's going who's gonna to play right back? Who's going to come and defend? If one of our defenders got injured, who, who's coming to defend? It would have been Casemiro. So I think we won't know what we are about this season until players come back. And it won't be surprised once you see players like Amrabat, Mount, Mainu, everybody comes back. We start winning victories. So because we're not a bad side, that's the thing. Well, maybe not be at the level of Arsenal, Manchester City, or Liverpool, unfortunately. But you know, some of the performances we've seen this year has just not been the best reflection and reflective aside that's lost nine first team players. So I think the stretch will go up. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how and how it takes us. I miss David De Gea. That's all I'm saying. It's all Andre Onana's <laughs> fault. It's all Andre Onana's <laughs> fault. That goal against that goal he conceded against Leroy Sane. That's at the time for the rest of the season. That's all I'm saying. David De Gea, oh, you're we such need a you down back. Down United fan, Hamza. Oh my! I'm trying to feel the positivity. I forgot well, I'm about all, the I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I've never not had a more positive Man United fan than you on the podcast ever. So I'm just like I'll be the negative one for. <laughs> okay, for, for so it's crazy. I'm going to the game next week as well against Galatasaray. So I'm going to be there Ooh. cheering Onana, which is going to be great fun indeed. Seeing Maro, Icardi, Zaha, Ziyech even turning up as well. Um, and someone has turned up now um, at the right time, I would say, is Christopher. So Christopher, meet Suki, meet Joshua. Um, Christopher is part Hi, Chris. of... Christopher is part of one of the top football podcasts in Canada, the Footy Culture, wow. who have been killing it over the last couple of years. They've got some amazing... Um, con- they've got amazing videos on YouTube, but their short-form content is absolutely insane. Their debates are incredible. Christopher, before we get into our main topic, which is about Juventus and a very big... Uh, episode of Start Bench Sell this week. Um, just tell us a bit more about what um, you and the footy culture are doing out in Canada right about now, Christopher. Yeah, that was a great introduction. Thank you for that, Hams, man. No, but in Canada, we're just uh, doing our thing. You know, we're just a couple of guys that want, that have talked about footy all day long. So, like, hey, and they don't call it soccer, which is why I love them so much. <laughs> of course, of course. You can't call it here. That's not the word, man. That's a swear but word. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's a swear word. But yeah, we just love talking about it. So we did it. So we're trying to bring it to Canada because you know in Canada you don't really say it too much yeah in the UK it's everywhere over here it's more like hockey you see like lacrosse like all these weird sports so we're trying to bring footy here man it needs to be done and I'm glad I'm glad you're on the podcast today we worked together last year during the World Cup and it was great to uh, have that conversation with you last year and hopefully this year more conversations on each other's platforms going ahead which will be great fun so uh, you're wearing one of the most amazing Juventus shirts I've seen in modern times I'm sure Joshua and Suki will agree Joshua's actually color coordinated with you today Chris so nicely done there (laughs) the both of you both of our guests today are wearing the same shirts which is great I should really go and wear my Miami one but um, it is what it is but yeah, before we get into our topics of Juventus and conversations, we're going to start with a start bench cell. And this start bench cell is something that I've been drumming up for quite a while. Normally, we do very fun ones and very enjoyable ones. But just so I can introduce this week's start bench cell, because Christopher's here, I'm going to let him go first as well. But I'm going to let the other guys think about it. Start bench cell, Alessandro Del Piero, Raul, and Francesco Totti. Three oh, amazing... Three amazing Trequatistas. And for some of our OG listeners as well, we were originally called Friday Night Trequatistas because of a withdrawn forward. That's how a lot of us like playing football, having that freedom on the pitch, which is great to score goals. And that's what Del Piero, Francesco Totti and Raul all did in world football at the national level and at domestic level as well. So Christopher, you're going first, my friend. I know there's a very big, obvious one with a Juventus legend in there, but I want to see your, your thought process with this one. Where are we going? 
Shoot. As, as my favorite player is Del Piero. I just want everyone to know this. So it's going to be hard to bench or sell him. You'll get now, some money for are, him in his prime. You'll get some money for oh, him. That's what I'm saying. You can get money for any of these guys. These guys are uh, <laughs> top class. I know that Totti could have had to move to Madrid back in the day. But, oof. Okay, well, Imagine his prize tag now, though. Imagine Totti's prize tag in his prime. Oh, Unreal. It's, it'd, be, it'd be insane. All, all these guys, man. As much as I love all these guys, the one I would have to sell... Actually, I'm going to start off the start. I got to start Del Piero. That's my guy. I, I can't not start him. Favorite player of all time. Can't see a team without him. On Del now, Piero then, Chris, before we move on to your bench and yourself, name us your favorite moment as a Juventus fan. Your number one moment as a Juventus fan for Del Piero. Favorite moment? Honestly? And it has to be one show- that you've watched and not something that you've just seen. Yeah, yeah. Your, the actual one that you've seen, yeah. Honestly, my favorite I've watched, which was the most emotional to me, was his last game where he scored the free kick goal against, I can't remember who it was against, but then shortly after he got subbed off and then you could see the fans throwing scarves at him, shirts, everything. You just saw like the love. It was honestly, I almost started crying when I saw that, but are you going to cry now? I know yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't his best <laughs> moment by far, but to me, that's, that just like engraved in my mind and that shows how much Del Piero meant to this club. Nicely but, done. Yeah. But moving on, uh, I think I'm going to bench Raul, not because Ooh. he's the better player, but as you said, the price tag on Totti would be absolutely insane nowadays. Ooh. And why not build a team around Del Piero and then build a beautiful team around Del Piero, have Raul on the bench as a super sub, and then Totti get the cash for Totti. This is crazy. Because I feel like there's actually not a right answer, but there's quite a few there's wrong not. answers with with this one. Everyone's going to complain, as you know, Chris. There will be arguments in the comments for days. Um, <laughs> Suki, agree or disagree? What are you saying with this one? Uh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna disagree because I, I'm just basing it just on talent. Um, I mean, all three of them are quality, right? Is it is a hard pick, but I think for me to start off with, I mean, I'll go, I'll go the other way around. So I I probably would sell Raúl. Um, and the only reason I'm doing that is because he was part of a Galacticos because he it's kind of cheating in a way. That's only that's the only kind of negativity I'm going to give to that. Uh, and then I'll say for bench will be Dal Piero. I mean, oh, I was going to say favorite moments. I mean, there was two games against Real Madrid in the group stages Champions League. I think it was around 08 or was it 2009 time? And yeah, he yeah. was fantastic in those two back to back games. Honestly, he was brilliant. And there was a couple of free kicks that he scored, absolute worldies. Uh, and then start for me is just Totti the boy because this guy, I mean, let's talk about loyalty for one team and his love for Rome, but he, he, watching him play as a number 10 was just pure. It was just purity when you're watching him. So I have to start with Totti. But um, I mean, there's no wrong answers with any of them, to be honest. But yeah, I have no. to go with the boy Totti because, yeah, he's just different gravy, as they say. Francesco Totti was someone who I think, when you describe loyalty, you describe Francesco Totti because I think he said one time in his life that you can change your, you can change your wife, but you can never change a football club. And he never actually changed his football club for as long as he played. And one of my favourite Francesco Totti moments, it goes around on social media quite a lot um, as well, was when I think it was Spalletti as manager at Roma in one of his final seasons when he was a veteran. He was just there on the bench every now and then. He then came on to actually save them and win them a game to get them uh, Champions League qualification as well. Because he wasn't being started as much, he wasn't being played as much, but he was still there impacting Roma in in a positive manner. And Francesco Totti will always be remembered in that kind of manner as well. So 
Joshua, let's hear your thoughts. Start bench sell, Alessandro Del Piero, Francesco Totti and Raul. Are we going to see the Spaniard come out on top on this one or is it going to be another Italian at top? We are, but thanks for that monologue. I can't, I've got, I'm, I'm selling Totti, but I feel like an idiot now. I'm not the, the speech you just gave, given all this social media stuff. It's like, really? I'm at the complete opposite of, of Zicky, actually. I'm, I'm selling Totti. Ooh. I mean, just for the reasons you mentioned there, I'm not going to comment. It's a hard, hard, it's a hard choice, isn't it? I'd go Del Piero bench, um, which is which is tricky. I know, Chris. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I saw that. There. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Amazing player, but Raúl, man, Suki talks about him being a Galactico. He was the Galactico, though. You know, I know there was the Dan. I know there was Figo, but he was the ever-present Spaniard leading that line. And before Ronaldo, Messi came and smashed you know Liga, the Liga to bits. He was the goal scorer. He was that guy. You know, he was a real threat for defenders outside the box, in the box. He had it all and just a prone finish. And for me, I felt he was a better, maybe arguably it's hard to say, probably a better finish than all three. And just because of that, that's the hardest thing in football. I'm going to start Raul and to mix it up as well. (laughs) Bit of variety there, which is great to see. A few stats on Raul is three-time European Cup champion winner. We had a a trip to Madrid, obviously, earlier this summer. And we had so many people saying Raul is over Benzema, Raul over Ronaldo, Raul, Raul, Raul. And shows the passion of Real Madrid fans in terms of how much Raul actually meant to them. And that 1998 Champions League final, I think it's like, no, the 2000 Champions League final where Raul scored and you're just like, this is insane. Raul did that before the Galacticos came into effect when Ronaldo mm-hmm. was at Inter Milan, when Zidane was at mm-hmm. Juventus. Raul was a guy doing it before the Galacticos came in as well which is great to see. Six-time La Liga champion, one Super Cup in the European Super Cup, two into the Continental Cups and four Spanish Super Cups as well, which goes to show how well he did um, for Real Madrid. But for me, I'm going to have to go for... Oh, this is this is tough. I've, I don't know if someone's already done this, but this is my, my way of thinking is I've got to start Del Piero. Alessandro Del Piero is my guy. World Cup winner for Italy. For me, he was the main man in that Italian side in the attack going forward you had Perlo you had Gattuso you had Totti you had Del Piero you had Cameronese all these players you list off the tongue you could play them in FIFA but you see them in real life and they were legends and Alessandro Del Piero was a true legend of football and a definite legend of Italian football as well which is great to see he also won the Champions League with Juventus in 1996 as well so that's one of the reasons I have to start because before they even became one of the biggest and best teams in European football not just Italian football um, before like they were just incredible Six-time Italian champion for Alessandro Del Piero um, as well. Um, I'm going to have to sell Raul because I think with Francesco Totti, if I needed someone to partner Del Piero properly up front as well, but Del Piero and Totti up front, the World Cup winning combination in 2006, they were incredible in the late 90s, early 2000s together, and they had amazing strikers um, together. And you had Castano somewhere there as well. So Castano was always a backup striker um, to these guys as well. So <laughs> Chris, you've got a great way of introducing yourself into this podcast with the start bench. So I'm glad you've you've come in the right way, which is great to see. But yeah, starting Del Piero, benching Totti and selling Raul um, in this case as well. But great job, everyone, in, t- in talking about your um, your top three Trequatistas in this way, week as well. Now, Chris, we have to talk about a bit about Serie A, but mostly about Juventus, seeing as you've joined the podcast and... What's I was expecting a, a better performance from Juventus on the weekend because you started the, the domestic season unbeaten. You were doing really well in Serie A and looking to kind of overcome all of these kind of issues that you've had. 
um, as well. So obviously you've been rid of European football, so no more European football yeah. season for Juventus. You've had quite a few problems in midfield, the whole Paul Pogba situation. All the midfielders you tend to have tend to be in and out of the side, which is not great in terms of consistency moving forward. And the fact that you've had some one of your best ever managers, Maximiliano Allegri, kind of being turned against by the media, by the fans, in terms of the way that he's playing with this modern style of play um, as well. So, And then it all came about when Wojciech Chesney had a couple of bad issues on the weekend. Like, on the weekend. That own goal by the centre-back just made my day. I was yeah, watching yeah, it. I'm just yeah. kind of there like, this is not what I'm expecting from a Juventus side at all. Um, but there's reasons to be prom- there's there's reasons for promise for Juventus, and that's what I wanted to talk, ask you about as well, Chris. So, um, what are besides all the negativity? Let's start with the positives, then let's get back to the negativity because it's quite funny as actually with Juventus. Can you see Juventus challenging for the top four and even the Serie A this season with the squad that you've got going forward this season, Chris? I actually to see them challenging for the the league, the title, the Scudetto already um, with Napoli faltering with their new manager. Yeah, I would agree. Not- Napoli's faltering. Uh, Milan, they look good, but do they look as good as last year? Not really. They look like they took a step down. I blame Pulisic. Um, Pulisic has actually been decent. I, I blame like them getting rid of tonality for like Loftish Cheek and uh, Reinders, but no Maldini Milan either fans, as well. And no Maldini, that's a huge uh, loss as well. Mm. Uh, Inter took a step up, though. That's the only problem here. Inter looks like they're on another level. I know Champions League, they tied. But that wasn't the full-on Inter team that we saw against Real Sociedad. This Inter team is the real deal. That's the only team I'm really scared of in the Serie A. And maybe Sassuolo because they actually gave it to us on on Sunday. But uh, that's <laughs> or Saturday, I mean. But yeah, it was a good game, that. Yeah, it wasn't a good... I would say that this might have been, although we didn't play great, it might have been one of our best, worst performances I've seen. Because when Juve plays bad... Like they played bad. This game they got kind of unlucky with Chesney having what pretty much an own goal, and then the third goal he left a bad rebound to Pinamonti, and then you have Gatti probably having the worst own goal I've ever seen in my life. The most memeable own goal you'll ever see in your life as well. It's insane. I don't know if you saw it, Suki and, and Joshua, but it's the fact that Chesney passing the ball out from near the corner flag. And it's an open goal. And then Gatti just, he just yeets it back into his own goal, expecting <laughs> the keeper to be there. And it's just like, what are you doing, my friend? That's a, that's a Harry Maguire mo- moment. If I've ever seen a Harry Maguire moment from not Harry yeah. Maguire, which is the best way of explaining yeah. it. So I'll have to send it to you later as well. But um, back to the positivity. You do have quite a few good players in your side this season as well. Samuel Illing Jr. is a very impressive youngster who's come from England as well, coming into the starting team on the fringes of becoming a mainstay. Friedrico Chiesa is coming back into full fitness and full form and I'm excited to see more from Dusan Vlahovic but talk to us a bit about some of the plays that we may not have seen um, from our point of view um, in yeah. Serie A. So who are you looking forward to watching in Juventus this season and why? I look forward to keep to continue watching someone like Cambiaso who didn't play last game but he's been a top top performer in the first two games. Uh, Weya. Weya has been surprising. He's been he's kind of like a rejuvenated Cuadrado. Uh, then we got, we have Bremer, Danilo, and Gatti, which is a, a back three that I didn't think would be too good, but they've actually been solid besides last game, of course. And uh, someone like Fajoli coming back into the squad. Meretti looks like he took a, a step up. So all these young players, oh, Vlavic as well, and Keza having a partnership that I was not expecting to, to have. So Juventus does look like they're on the up. 
can I likely keep this up though? Because I've seen it before where he, he starts off strong and then the teams team starts to just die down through the season. I'm hoping that's due to champions league football and other, other football, no depth, <laughs> but this, now this year there's no excuses. So we'll see what he could do with the squad. I think it's a squad that could definitely win the league. It's, I'm not saying it's a bad squad at all. They, he should be able to do something with this team. One more time, at least. One last dance for Allegri, maybe, and then he can move on to past his new. Suki, what are you thinking yeah. about Juventus this season from what you've seen from your outside perspective? We spoke a lot about Napoli last season. We know that you're a big fan of um, Kovicra and Oshiman and how they played last season, but they've been faltering on from their own point of view. But what are you thinking about yeah. Juventus this season, Suki? I mean, I think it was one game. I can't remember which game it was, Chris. I think they were losing 1-0 and then it was like... They were dominating the ball. Then they got it to 1-1. And then it was just like, they were just knocking on the door, knocking on the door. But you could just tell there's no impetus for them to score. It was just like, it wasn't going to come. You just knew they yeah. weren't going to get that finisher. And it's kind of like, I mean, in, in a good way, not having that European football this year. Um, I don't know if that's, it's always it's always on and off, isn't it, really? Because <laughs> you're getting, you're getting banned and then you're not unbanned, then you're banned and you're getting, yeah. So yeah, I, mean, it's crazy. I think it's a good season. Yeah, I mean, it's a good season for them to start rebuilding the team. Yeah. Uh, and I think having Allegri, having that kind of experience is really is really telling and it's really good to have the, especially with the youngsters, to know this is the Juventus way and this is how we dominate the league. And we've been doing this for the past decade. Uh, and I think that's what he's trying to bring in, bring back into the football club as well, around the, the kind of ethics, the ethos around kind of higher management to, to, to the squad team and obviously the staff as well. But um, I mean, they've got some really young players there as well that are going to start moulding into like some really good, fantastic players. But I think I think with Juventus, you just got to give them time. Um, and I mean, like you say, what Chris was saying, there's not many teams that are really going for the top four this year. And I think with Napoli, obviously, <laughs> we're doing really bad at the moment. <laughs> we're really Garcia. But um, but I mean, the two inter the two Milan teams always going to be there or about. And then it's just the the, the positions for the third and fourth. I mean, you've got Roma knocking on the door, maybe. Uh, but that's about it, really. But I think for Juventus, having that kind of one-game-a-week approach, uh, quite similar to the way that we've got it at Tottenham, it's just having a new team, new system, getting everyone kind of gelled together and then start building the building blocks to then become a top-calibre team. Uh, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I definitely see Juventus getting top four. I mean, challenging for the league would be fantastic. Honestly, it's, it's one level than what they expected to get. Uh, and a, and a mm. cup, cup competition run as well. Uh, but I mean, yeah. I mean, when you look at the team, it's 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 got quality. It's got some depth to it as well. It's just about getting it ready and getting it going. And I think having those new young additions coming in through the summer as well, uh, it's going to be really telling over the next course of like the year or the next two years. So it's again rebuilding the foundation as the team again, and then getting it up to scale when they get more experienced and and go that way. I think when you look at Juventus, you, you, you're trying to mould yourself into that kind of Arsenal model. You don't have to play exactly like them, but. You're giving them, you're giving Allegri the time to have that three-year building block to get that team back up to the level it needs to be. But I think they will fast track it this year. They'll definitely get top four. They'll be back in the Champions League, uh, minus the dog getting banned again. But <laughs> yeah. I think you'll, you'll see Juventus back uh, because look, big teams like that they they don't just go away in in a second. You'll see they've got enough money, they've got enough power, pulling power to bring players in. So. It's just, yeah, again, matter of time, building it up slowly and then, yeah, just getting a few cups and, and, and a league title maybe this year and then kind of take it forward from there. But I, again, I wouldn't really worry if I was a Juventus fan, to be honest. Yeah, despite Juventus fans on social media, Juventus fan TV, they love to complain about Allegri. But one player that been complaining a lot about Joshua is Paul Pogba. Yeah, of course. Unfortunately, unfortunately Paul Pogba is 
reunited his home, his homecoming part two, part three, whatever you want to call it. So Juventus hasn't been that successful, unfortunately. And for someone who was injured for most of the season last season, he missed the World Cup with injury as well. Um, for him to come back into preseason and have the issues with the drug ban as well, potentially being out um, for a lot longer as well because of a drug ban. Um, where, where are your thoughts on Paul Pogba going forward, um, Joshua? Do you think do you think he does have a career at Juventus? Do you think they should move on without him, cut ties with him, and then just carry on? What's your thoughts on Paul Pogba at Juventus, Joshua? I think we've got to see how the investigation um, plays out, and I think Juventus. I mean, Chris will know more than me, but the initial reaction seems they're, they're heavy to suspend. Maybe to get rid if, if if things are if he's found guilty with the investigation, um, which is a major shame. You know, I think Paul Pogba is a wonderful footballer, and he gets so much criticism for no reason, in my opinion. You know, he's popped such a high standard where no one, not even the great Messi and Ronaldo, play great every game. They might get a goal, and I think Pogba's always going to step on the pitch for for club or country and perform top top level. And last year, you know, it was injury savage season completely injury savage season and he came back this year I think he had the first good couple of games and now he's out so I, I actually want him to stay at Juventus I hope that in terms of the investigation whatever happens he can still move forward with, with, with the Italian club that's his, that's where he wanted to go he wanted to because that's the place where he's loved he didn't feel that at United um, second time round maybe not even first time round he's had such a wonderful time when he got to the final in 2015 and you know, they lost to Messi Suarez and Neymar, but that was such a good Juventus team. Uh, and he's not been able to recreate that since, since you know, in, in club form. He was brilliant World Cup uh, back in 2018 when he won it in Russia. Uh, it's an interesting one because it, it just feels like a great career. It's turning out a bit sour, which is a shame because I feel that's going to be said more. If you look about like, Raul, Del Piero and Totti, three players just mentioned. Now, the, the honours you've listed out for those three players compared to Pogba, it's not going to be that high. But I just think Popper deserves a bit more respect uh, for what he's achieved and how he plays the game. Um, and I just think with this investigation, if it does, you know, turn out to he gets released or you know dropped, it just people just talk about that rather than the excellent performances that I think he's he's produced for a Juventus, b for France. And listen, he wasn't all bad at Manchester United. There's been much poorer players, in my opinion. Yes, he probably wasn't worth the money we spent. He probably wasn't consistent as he wanted to be. He wasn't a match winner compared to other players. We've had some good times. That brace against Manchester City at Etihad, where we came back from 2-0 down to Scotland win the league against us. He had some moments, a uh, good connection of Rashford. I, I'm, I'm a fan of Paul Pogba. It's frustrating the way it turned out for Manchester United and I'm very disappointed. I'm, no joy to see what's happened to him at Juventus because I just want him to have a, just get the respect he deserves, you know? I think he's not the greatest player of all time, but he's a fantastic talent and you don't see that, you don't see that type of talent every every day, personally. Yeah, it's true. This is where we put the Birdman clip of when he says, you've got to put some respect on my name. Um, it needs to be done there as well. We need to add that in. But Chris, do you think with Paul Pogba, I'm not going to go into a more negative spin on him as well, but do you think his main problem when he was playing at Manchester United compared to at Juventus, I know he ended up getting more goals and assists than he did at Juventus. Do you think that he was then just misprofiled as a footballer when he played in England compared to when he played in Italy. Because when he played in Italy, he had the likes of Marchisio and Perlo around him, experienced heads around him, which allowed him to be free. But it didn't mean that he was a main attacking focal point in midfield. It allowed Vidal to also go through as well. It allowed Tevez and it allowed Lorente to stay forward, which was great. But in his first season at Manchester United, his first two seasons, I should say, he was working with Nemanja Matic, Michael Carrick and Ander Herrera, which allowed him to actually be a lot more free, a lot more confident on the ball and it means that whenever he lost the ball um, he didn't have to worry about being the man coming back but annoyingly in England 
we've we've done this with Jude Bellingham to an extent as well until we've seen him at Real Madrid playing more attacking um, as well. But do you think that was the case where he was just misprofiled when he came to England? But when he went back to Juventus, um, he was when he was when he was fully fit. He was going to be more of a number ten going forward, having that freedom on the ball, not having to rely upon his defensive skills to get him out of danger, but his attacking skills to get other teams into danger. What would you say, Chris? Yeah, I fully agree. Um, <clears throat> at Juventus, he, well, he was one of my favorite players to watch. He was he was insane, insanely good, insane. He was an insane talent. But he's talented at Dabin as well. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. yeah, with with freedom, he's a complete different player than without freedom. That's this is why you see him even when he's at on that France team. It's a complete different Pogba. When he has Conte, Conte covering his ass, like it's it's a complete different Pogba. He, he doesn't need to do anything besides attack, get do something with the ball, provide, and that's all he has to do. Now, when he was on United, that he did have freedom at first, and then they slowly converted him to a CDM, and he slowly started his see his performances fall down, and then the fans get toxic. And Pogba, Pogba plays better when the fans love him, and at United, the fans didn't really have like an emotional connection with him. Like at Juve, I'm he had the dances, he was doing the dances, doing the dabs, and you see at at United, he's slowly like you don't really talk about him anymore and then I feel like a lot of players that come from Italy or, or like the Bundesliga that, that were loved and they go to the Prem because it's such a harsh fan base is over there they kind of don't tend to do too well sometimes and then it's more, kind of, it, yeah it's more in terms of we're a lot more not we I'm just going to say Suki will agree with me and Joshua as well um, collectively British fans are a lot less patient uh, yes. due, yeah. to, <laughs> due to the fact that there's always competition there's a lot more harsh media, I would say, in England than a lot of countries as well. There's a lot more bias in terms of if someone loses. You, it's like when you see now, everyone can see how badly treated Kai Havertz is being treated um, yeah. at Arsenal for his starting position. His starting for Arsenal is not doing very well. He's being quite crap. But that's because Arsenal fans are quite annoying. They have a bad fan base and they tend to annoy a lot of people in the media as well. So Kai Havertz is getting a lot of hate, a lot of press for his price tag for what he's done. Then you look at Chelsea. Then you look at someone like Enzo Fernandez, who they spent £80 million on um, last year in January after only having six months at Benfica. No one's really mentioning how bad he's played. He may have a few tricks and um, uh, tricks and skills up his sleeve. He may be able to beat a man every now and then, but he's still not playing good football. And yeah. when Paul Pogba was in that situation, he was getting a lot more criticised than Enzo Fernandez was. And with all the Chelsea players that they've signed, they're still not going in on certain players. It's just Nicholas Jackson because he's a striker, he's a scapegoat. But a lot of yeah. their players should be more of a scapegoat. But because of how they've been perceived in the media, no one's really going at them, which is something I can understand completely and something I'm pretty sure um, the rest of you can understand as well. But um, realistically going forward, Chris, before we move on to our next topic, um, we'll have the match day preview against Atalanta later on. So I'll get to, get to hear your thoughts on that. But with Juventus going forward this season, I need to ask you about Samuel Illing Jr., uh, English youngster playing for Juventus. He made a good appearance last season in the Champions League against Benfica when you lost 4-3 away. Um, can we expect big things from him? Can he become like the next Jadon Sancho? Not in a negative way, but can he become the next <laughs> young winger out abroad from England, playing abroad and coming back into, uh, into, into, a big fa- big, into a big way? Because he's been playing some good football for Juventus so far. What's your thoughts on Ealing Jr., Christopher? He is. He's a fantastic player. I think he's a top talent. He just has to, he just needs more game time. And at Juventus, I don't know if he's going to get too much of that because on his side, he has 
Cambiaso and Kostic, which are, I would say right now, they're both better than him. I would love to see Ealing Jr. in this side, but another problem is Allegri. Allegri doesn't like playing his young players too much. He'll, he'll put one or two on the field, but he won't put too many of them because he likes experienced players. If we can get him out on loan, maybe for a year, go give him that experience, maybe get rid of Kostic, who's, who's aging. I think I believe he's 31, right? Or he's turning 31. Then we could see him come into the side and maybe make a, make a name for himself. But this year, I don't really see him doing too much. Maybe just, he'll probably be, he'll probably get a couple of starts, a couple of subs, but he won't, he won't, you won't hear of him too much. But I think next year or the year after, he'll, he'll be a name. Great way to hype up your boy there, Chris. Nicely done there. But yeah, he's, he's definitely going to have a good, a good few appearances this season, I think, from my point of view, as someone who, without Champions League football, will have less opportunities to shine. But I still think with the five subs rule, um, it allows a lot more opportunities going forward to Samuel Willing Jr. But nicely done there. Right, we're going on to Scout Hams, then we're going on to Premier Player Focus, which is one player, and then we're going on to our match day focus for the weekend ahead. So Scott Herms, obviously I'm talking about one youngster a week and recently had the opportunity to go to Sweden and I went to Sweden, um, got to watch Sweden versus Austria in the European qualifiers. Sweden lost 3-1 to Austria. So I'm going to talk about Emil Holm, who is a right wing back for Atalanta, who's also Swedish. So someone who I hope Samuel Illing Jr. comes up against is Emil Holm uh, for Sweden and for Atalanta as well. So Last season, during his first Serie A season, he made 20 appearances, scoring one goal and providing two assists for Spezia, which le- which got him his move to Atalanta as well. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does in the Europa League as well for Emil Holm, who came on as a centre midfielder. So it's going to be good to see how Emil Holm, normally we talk about lots more attacking players, but it's good fun. Um, this one was good fun as well. And shout out to Emil Holm. Young players from Scandinavia are doing really well this season and none more so than Emil Holm, I would say. And we've got Harlan Odegaard. We've talking about them already, but it is what it is. Um, shout out. Yeah, shout out to them as well. Premier League player focus for this week. We're talking about Callum Hudson-Odoi. This is where one of our video editors gets to choose a player for us to talk about randomly and talk about them in a positive manner. Suki, we're going to talk about Callum Hudson-Odoi. The fact that he was frozen out at Chelsea. He's gone to Nottingham Forest. Has reinvented himself now as a winger as well. They've got Ilanga. They've got Awaniwi. They've got rid of Brennan Johnson to, um, to Tottenham Hotspur, obviously, as well. Callum Hudson-Odoi was once quoted at £60 million to buy Munich once upon a time. And he hadn't even made five appearances for Chelsea at the time. Now he's at Nottingham Forest after being having a poor season last season for Bayern Leverkusen. Didn't really fit into Xabi Alonso's system as well and wasn't really contributing much. I know you don't really want to support Chelsea players in terms of what they do going out. But is this a good time to see Callum Hudson-Odoi f- flourish? Like we've seen someone like Iwobi flourish. Like we've seen someone like... Um, yeah, someone like Iwobi Flores has moved away from a big club, has got the heat away from him. He can now develop his game properly. What do you think about that, Suki? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I mean, I watched I watched Adoy like live uh, when they played against us at um, the the Carling Cup. I think it was the quarters. Uh, we played two legs, and I mean, this guy he's probably one of the quickest players I've seen live. I mean, knock a ball past the player, and you're not catching him. He's that kind of rapid. He's that quick. And I thought, you know what, this guy, he's dangerous. And when you watch Tuchel playing that system where you had the left wing back and you thought, if this guy didn't have to defend, he'd be a problem, right? Uh, and then over time's gone, you could tell the talent was there and the quality was there, but he was just being nullified playing as a left wing back. Uh, and obviously the injuries have all happened. He's never had a kind of a starting kind of run with Chelsea as a left winger or a right winger. But I think now going to Nottingham Forest is just a, another fresh, fresh, fresh breath air, right? In terms of, 
he's in a new new team, new system. There's not so much um, emphasis or weight on him to to perform. He just he could just take it game by game. Uh, but I think when you're seeing him play uh, and the goal that he scored on the on the weekend, he, he's a fantastic player. And I think the injuries have slowed him down just a little bit. But I mean, if they've only slowed him down by say a mini percentage, I mean this guy is still quicker than most of the the right backs in the league. I'll be honest. And uh, again, one v one, he's one player you don't want to be going up against. And um, I think for Nottingham Forest this season, he's going to be one to watch. Definitely, and then Langer on the right as well. Uh, so it's exciting times for Nottingham Foresters. And if he was a fan for them, and you've already watched him, you could tell the way that he plays on that on that wing and beating a player, he, he's got it. He's got it down to a T. And I think, um, yeah, Chelsea getting rid of him was a bit bit surprising. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think his injury record doesn't really kind of back his uh, back his case. But I'm hoping with Forest he can, yeah, another new sense of life, and um, you'll see the best out of him now playing as an as an attacker rather than as a left wing back. Uh, but yeah, no, he's, he's definitely a quality player. Yeah, nicely done there with, with Callum Hudson Odoi and Joshua. There was once a time where Callum Hudson Odoi made got his first England call up before actually having his first start for Chelsea. So the talent is definitely there. Gareth Southgate definitely did like him once upon a time as well, where he wasn't in any of the major squads for the competitions as well. But is there that route back into English football, into national football? Because I know Gareth Southgate doesn't really go for smaller teams anymore. Uh, for these attacking players, more so for defensive and uh, midfield players as well, and goalkeepers as well, Crystal Palace. But are we seeing the renaissance of Callum Hudson-Odoi, or is it too early to speculate on that for England, let alone just in his own career? Yeah, I think it's too early for, for his club club form um, before we think about England. I think he's not been playing football. That's the thing, hasn't he? For Chelsea, he's not been you know, in match day squads. He's had a couple of injuries as well. So it's just about him feeding himself, finding what type of winger he is. He's still very young. When he burst on the scene, it was had that move, as you mentioned, potentially to go to Bayern Munich. The offer was there. He decided to sign the deal for Chelsea. So it's just about playing Premier League football week in, week out uh, and, and seeing uh, where it takes him, really. I'm sure if he's got the ability that we, you know, Suki's talking about, which when he first came um, to Chelsea and arrived, then he will be knocking on that door when Southgate departs, maybe after the Euros or maybe be a late wildcard for the Euros. Um, but we saw, uh, was it last week, Monday, when he scored that goal against Burnley, just what he's about. And if you can produce those moments consistently in the Premier League, then, you know, you're going to get better moves. You're going to, you know, find yourself at international camps. It is an interesting, I think Forrest have assembled a really nice team of players that, you know, someone like Alanga and hudson Adoy have not really made it to their two clubs. They've been, um, where they've learned their trade and they've gone out to Nottingham Forest now and to kind of make themselves established in their careers. So, yeah. I think the jury's still out in terms of can he get back into England? Can he get back into that you know top six side? But he's an interesting character and one I'm happy he's retained in the Premier League, I have to be honest with you. Yeah, it's, it's going to be nice to see how he develops over the season. And it was especially nice when you got to see Anthony Langer score a winner against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. That's always nice to see um, <laughs> Chelsea lose at home. And we're not going to be talking about them in our European matchday preview. So Chris, this is where we talk about free... European games across um, European football. And because you are our guest today, we have got Juventus on the line as well, even though there may be debatably a bigger game in Syria. But we're going to start with you, Chris, and we're going to talk about your team, Juventus, turning up against Atalanta away. So Atalanta have had a really good start to the season in Syria. It looks like they're going to be 
quite comfortable challenging the top six all the time in, in European oh, yeah. fo- in, in Serie A football as well. And with the new format of the Champions League coming out next year, it looks like they could be challenging for that Champions League position um, as well, respectively. But from your point of view, what are the key battles on the pitch from your predicted lineup of both the teams? Who are you thinking <coughs> will be a problem for Atalanta? Who are you thinking will be a problem for Juventus? And realistically speaking, who do you think is going to come out on top in this game? The floor is yours, Chris. Yeah, so... Well, first all, I'm going to say <clears throat> Atalanta is a team that could literally fight anybody, as you said. They could go head-to-head with anybody. Now, main player for their team, I would say Coop Miners. He has uh, one goal, one assist. Not not crazy, but as a midfielder, he has 13 key passes. And he just he's a, he's a great creative midfielder in, in the Atalanta midfield. He, he tends to play a little more attacking. Um it's going to be tough for our midfield to stop him because our midfield is not the strongest. With Locatelli at the CDM, he's probably going to be going head-to-head with him. But I think that's going to be a battle. If Locatelli could come into his own that game, it'll definitely make it'll, it'll help Juventus a lot to win this game. Uh, our key player, of course, is going to be Chiesa. Four goals on, in, I believe, five shots on target in this season so far. So he's been, he's been pretty deadly in front of goal. This new striker position has been absolutely fantastic for him and he's definitely gonna be our main player him and Vlavic up top but I do think the main battle of this game head head on head is gonna be it depends who's playing right for us if it's Danilo or Gatti if it's if it's Gatti Gatti's gonna have to have the best game of his life against Lookman because Lookman is an absolute talent and he's 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 another player that's just absolutely deadly in front of goal. If he, if he gets a shot on target, it's most likely going to go in. He showed it last year, where he he had a great year, and then he's, he's just he had a slow start, and now he's starting to pick it up now. So if Gatti or Danilo can lock him down, I do see Juventus coming out with a win this game, and yes. I even give you a score prediction. Go I think it's it. going to be three-one Juve. Ooh, three-one Juve away from a lot home. of goals. I mean, you got you got that lethal hitman up front, Federico Chiesa. And um, Joshua, we spoke earlier this season about Rafael Leal, but Federico Chiesa, in my opinion, on his day, is one of the best players in Serie A, in my opinion. I think he's that good. Watched him live for Italy against Spain in the European Championships at Wembley, and he tore Spain up. He can do that to a team. He can do that to a top team. He can do that across. And the fact that he doesn't have to track back as much now in this new system under yeah. um, Allegri with Vlahovic, that, that partnership is going to be purring by December. So, um, yeah, Federico Chiesa, that's my unpopular opinion, by the way. Federico Chiesa, on his day, is the best player in Serie A. Um, I agree. It's one of those things that people don't, when people don't watch Serie A, they're just like, oh, yeah, Liao's good. Or, oh, yeah, Shiru's good. I'm just like, Federico <laughs> Chiesa is the boy to watch in Serie A football when he is fit when he's not fit it's a very different story um, entirely but um, yeah Chris um, we used to talk about Adamola Lookman we have talked about Adamola Lookman as well last season he's a fantastic player but I've never seen a a Nigerian well, I was going to say English but he's, he's a Nigerian international I've never seen a, a player from the Premier League go to Serie A and have such a it's never fit so well that partnership with Atlanta and um, Lookman has never fit so well because we've seen him go to so many different teams in the Premier League and he went to RB Leipzig, didn't really fit there either. But it's fit yeah. so well for Atlanta. Do you know why that's happened? Do you know why Gasparini's made him play in such a way? Um, any reason why that you can see, Chris? I feel like Gasparini's great when it comes to a very attacking-minded players. He, he tends to make these young wingers, strikers, even attacking midfielders thrive. Like we saw... 
like example, Papu Gomez, Malinowski, the list could keep going. Like Muriel, Zapata, every single one. Like these are just these have been average players for other teams, but when they come to Atalanta, they they tend to just absolutely thrive. I my guess is is that their play style because it tends to really help an attacking player a lot. They get a lot of shots on net, get a lot of attacking opportunities. I think they have the most shots on target of any City A team this year. And they're probably up there in goals as well. I think it just it's just a perfect spot for a young attacker to go. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the last few places in, in like top Italian football as well where they're not playing in just the system. They have that freedom to develop themselves as well and yeah. they've got that patience there, uh, which is great to see. So yeah, nice little preview there for Atalanta versus Juventus. Um, the Premier League one, it would have been Suki, but because of Suki, I'm going to bait him out online. The fact that Suki works from home and is on call as well. Sometimes he does get to join um, on our podcast. Sometimes he doesn't because he's got his work from home. So it's perfectly fine, Suki. We know that you would have gone through your preview of Liverpool versus Spurs. But Joshua, now it's your ownership of talking through Liverpool's unbeaten start to season, <laughs> their style of play, their top ballers to watch in this game against Tottenham Hotspur, who are also unbeaten this season with their am- amazing style of play. Their brand new manager has taken the Premier League by storm. Um, again, for this match they preview, the floor is yours. Spurs versus Liverpool, Joshua. Yeah, it's going to be a cracker, I think. Two sides um, who have started the season brilliant. Like you said, they're both unbeaten. Liverpool annoyingly have started the season well and they've done are they back though? do you think they're huh? back do you think they're um, back to their best I think they are they, they, they're they unbeaten now I haven't got the statistics to hand 18-17 Prem games I think following from last year they haven't lost since I think maybe Bournemouth away I, I, I want to say they're back to that you know ferocious Liverpool like Mane Firmino where they're just you know going to go toe-to-toe City but they're efficient and I don't see where the defeats are going to come from. And credit to Liverpool because they identified where the issues were. They brought Sobersai, they brought McAllister. And also, I think Nunez is improving as well. Mm. He's becoming more matured and tailored. I think that, and you've got to give credit to Jurgen Klopp. And I've been very um, critical of him, which is um, not many people want to be critical of him. But I felt last season, he wasn't doing enough. I felt like he hid behind the whole, we haven't got midfielders. But he, he's managed Nunez really well at the beginning of the season. Had a fantastic pre-season, but didn't start him. He came on against Newcastle, scored a brace. And I think the next game, he still didn't start Nunez. And he's kind of just managing his minutes well. Got a goal um, against West Ham. And I think with Salah, you always have a chance. A very comprehensive Salah. I think he's one of the best players in the league. Um, defensively, they have got issues. And this is what makes the Spurs game so interesting. Because Spurs, with James Madison, Son... I started to find a connection, started to find gaps against top sides. Sort of against Arsenal, we've seen it early against Manchester United. And Liverpool, they do give away a lot of shots. West Ham in that game um, had a few sitters to, to level the game, to even go ahead at Anfield. So I think it's going to be a cracker, you know. I think Liverpool, if they were to go there and beat um, Ange's um, Tottenham Hotspur side, that would be a big statement in the league because everybody's been really in love with the Spurs team. Um, we've seen how they played against Arsenal. Uh, and they need, they need and this is their second big game of the season the opening day against Chelsea a very poor second half and considering we see how bad Chelsea have been collectively so they do, they do need a big performance uh, in terms of prediction I, I think Liverpool get the business done I really do yeah. I think um, it's going to be interesting that battle between Basuma, Saar Sobasai and McAllister because Basuma and Saar they, they go everywhere they go into gaps and places they don't want to go I'm not sure if Trent's back yet or whatever uh, in terms of Robertson, who's going to replace um, him there. I just think Liverpool get ahead and they'll stay ahead. And I'm going to go 2-0, actually. I'm actually going to keep, they're going to keep a clean sheet. 
Um, they've got Dot off the bench, they've got Diaz. Just too much firepower, I think. And if you look at the, the Arsenal-Spurs game, we spoke about earlier in the pod, Arsenal still found a bit of gaps, full moments and possession. And if Tottenham don't get on top of Liverpool, Salah will find a way. <laughs> and Nunes will find a way. And it's interesting That's to see a good Tottenham... battle as well. Sorry to interrupt there, but no, Destiny, right. Destiny Dogi had a really tough time against Bukayo Saka um, in the North London derby on yeah. the weekend. And now he's got a face-off against the actual... The best right winger in the Premier League in Mohamed Salah as well. So definitely Adogi is having trial by fire week in, yeah. week out. Even though Suki said earlier in the podcast they're having a week to break, which is perfectly fine. They're out of the Carabao Cup. Yeah. Nothing to worry about. But Mohamed Salah will give Destiny Dogi a test like it was never had in his life. And he was really good last season in Serie A for Udinese. So I'm looking forward to seeing how Destiny Dogi does um, against Mohamed Salah. Because if that's the battle that needs to be won. For me personally, I know you talked about the midfield battle, but me personally, it needs to be Adogi versus Salah. Because mm. when Adogi conceded that early yellow card, he was just frantic mm. um, for the first 30 minutes and the rest of the game, he was just like, I've got to stay off him. I've really got to stay off Bukayo Saka. But Saka did not take advantage of him at all. Mohamed Salah will because Mohamed Salah is a killer and he will definitely go into that um, like he did against West Ham um, on the weekend as well. But, Nice preview there, Joshua. Great. Very well with that one. Now, both of you are going to help you for the final one. The final one, we're going all the way to the Bundesliga. We're going to Germany. It's RB Leipzig at home versus Bayern Munich. Harry Kane's Bayern Munich. Jamal Musiala's Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich won 7-0 on the weekend. And it's embarrassing how difficult it is to be a Bundesliga team that isn't Bayern Munich. But a team that can challenge Bayern Munich, as we've seen already this season, Christopher, is RB Leipzig. We've spoken a whole lot about Xavi Sims. We've spoken about Lewis Appender being a good signer for RB Leipzig as well. I'm going to be talking to uh, Christopher about Bayern Munich and Joshua I'm going to be talking to you about RB Leipzig. So you've got a fair choice on both teams as well. So uh, Christopher, I'll talk to you first about Bayern Munich and how impressed have you been in Alfonso Davies this season? Because Alfonso Davies, obviously you're, you're a Canadian international, Alfonso Davies, when he plays for Canada, he plays everywhere, doesn't he? He plays like an attacking midfielder, left winger, white, right winger, centre midfielder. He can play anywhere, but um, he's come under some criticism recently as well, but it's come back firing, I think, um, in my opinion. How, what's your thoughts on Alfonso Davies so far, uh, Chris? Yeah, Alfonso Davies is like the ultimate... <clears throat> he, he has He could play any position, as you said, but in this Bayern team... His first year was he was absolutely shining like a star. Then he came in the second year, fell back a little bit. Now we're here, and he's he's kind of seeing a, a kind of connection with like Harry Kane, Coleman, uh, uh, Gnabry, Sane. He's kind of linking up again with them. I think I think Kane in this lineup helps a lot because he does drop back into the midfield and he can link up with with the wingers slash fullbacks, which helps this this Bayern team click a little bit. Now we're also seeing. Someone like Tell click with this team. He's super he's all super sub. This he's he's too good to be a super sub at this point. But he has nowhere to play, so it is what it is. But exactly, uh, who do you leave out from that as well? You can't get rid yeah. of Gnabry. You can't get rid of Coman, and you definitely can't rid of, get rid of Jamal Musiala because they're making some interesting positions by Munich under Thomas um, under Thomas Tuchel. You got Harry Kane as a number nine. You got Musiala as a number ten, and they're both playing as number tens to allow Sane. Yeah. And rather Coleman or Gnabry, who's that left winger, to be up front as well. And it goes to show that Harry Kane has that freedom on the pitch, but he's not dropping back as deep as he did at Spurs because he doesn't need to. You've got the quality of Kimmich, the quality of Goretzka. Conrad Lyman's playing as a right back, which makes no sense to me. But Masrawi was playing right back on the weekend. He was fantastic. But Harry Kane recently got his first Bundesliga hat-trick for Bayern Munich. And 
Uh, he scored, what, seven goals in, what, six games at the moment or something like that in the Bundesliga, which is insane. Um, Joshua, talk to me. How did RB Leipzig stop Harry Kane? How did they stop Bayern Munich? And are there any players besides Javi Simmons that we can talk about from an RB Leipzig point of view that can challenge this um, Bayern Munich side, Joshua? Yeah, I think uh, Sesko, the striker, he's got four goals already. He's cold. Um, he's so cold. He is so good in the Champions League as well. They're a team yeah, to watch by uh, RB Leipzig in the Champions League, by the way. I can't wait for that Man City game with the new 7 0, but the other games, they'll be good. <laughs> believe me. Hey, you never know. You never know. It might, might uh, give City a game. Uh, in, in regards to your first question, I think they just they know how to beat Bayern, did it in the Super Cup by playing their game. Uh, it's not about stopping what you know Bayern's movement, who are still trying to find the identity themselves. And I'm, I'm talking about Leipzig, but just for Bayern, it does a Bayern. You know, two-two against Leverkusen um, a fortnight on Friday, and that's against you know another top side. Um, obviously, winning seven-nil last um, on Saturday and four-three against United, which wasn't convincing. But so Leipzig four goals with Sesko, um, Javi Simmons really playing really well. I think Rose has just found a system, and I think it's also about confidence. And they, there's usually a barrel when you're playing Bayern in, in the Bundesliga. Dortmund, Leipzig can buy Leverkusen. What they're doing at the moment, that there is no barrier. There is kind of, we're going to come here and, and, and compete. And I really believe that they're, they're in a fantastic position to, to, to beat Bayern because I still feel there is an identity crisis. You're not seeing, outside Musiala, Kane is a, an amazing striker. He'll get goals anywhere he goes, in my opinion. So it's not a surprise how we started. We're not seeing the best out of Gnabry Sane so far. The midfield's quite, you know, weak in terms of Kimmich, Goretzka. And I just feel with um, Leipzig's high-pressing system, with the talents they have up front. Danny Olmo as well. Another half yeah, of yeah, coming, maybe. Yeah, potentially, potentially. So I think, yeah, I think that's, it's going to be a good match. Out, out of the three games that we've previewed, I think that's the, that's the closest for sure. Um, and a real, a real mark of where the league can potentially go. Because I still feel Bayern are finding their feet and perhaps can get another scout. Yeah, it, it would be a shock to see um, Bayern Munich get dismantled off because Bayern Munich and Bayern Leverkusen are the two unbeaten sides in the Bundesliga so far as well so for RB Leipzig to come in and steal the show and it's going to be a big battle isn't it Chris between Xavi Simmons and Jamal Musiala the world will be watching this game because of these two wonder kid attacking midfielders these maestro of midfielders as well what have you seen from Jamal Musiala this season Chris um, in terms of how he can elevate his game forward is he a potential Ballon d'Or winner with the likes of Messi and Ronaldo kind of phasing out their way as well. It's got Haaland, who's going to be a big player in Ballon d'Ors. Vinicius Jr., of course, as well. Chiesa, my boy Chiesa, your boy Chiesa as well, potentially, um, when he's back. But is Jamal Musiala a potential Ballon d'Or winner, perhaps? Uh, he he can very well be. I, I also think he got snubbed for Golden Boy against uh, Gavi. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like that at all. I didn't like how yeah. Gavi got in for the sake of it and Masiala didn't because a lot of people's argument is, oh, he's already established. No. It makes no sense. There's an age difference <clears throat> between it. It makes no sense at all. Uh, sorry, carry yeah. on. What are you saying? Yeah, you... you no problem. You watch uh, Musiala play, it's, it's... He looks like a top talent and he's so young. He kind of reminds me, not doesn't play like Jude, but he kind of reminds me of Jude, like a Jude type player. Mm. He's, he's someone that's so young that could take over a game he could win you a game off of nothing, just like just like Jude did for. He's, he, okay, I was gonna say Dortmund, but he's doing it for Real Madrid as well. Still, he's done it for so, both. So fair enough. Yeah, so Musiala could be huge for Bayern in the future, and he could also be huge for Germany. This is a huge loss for England and not getting him for the national team. I blame. He could have a massive. Yeah, yeah, I would blame him too. But this could be a massive year for Musiala. He could, he could, he could be the main man. I know Harry Kane's there, but he could be the main man. Yeah, I think with Harry Kane there, he's got that fact that. 
he's not going to be the main source of, of goals, really. Like, we've got Sane, we've got Nabri. They've got Harry Kane as a focal point that they know he will be the main source of goals, but Musiala can then elevate his own game by focusing on what he needs to do as well, which is what a lot of players really need to just focus on themselves and they'll move forward um, properly, which is good for them as well, which is great to see. Mm. Um, but yeah, great job, everyone, with our match day previews at the end. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. It's been great to have everyone as well. Uh, before we wrap up, Joshua, what have you got planned for the rest of the year going ahead? And hopefully we get another cameo performance from you on Friday Night Counter-Attack. Yeah, for sure. This week, uh, QPR, Coventry, final score on Saturday. So, you know, a bit of championship football for myself. Premier Stockley League Park week. again. Stockley Park. Stockley Park's coming up in, in 10 days. Yes. A bit all I'm saying is you've got to follow those referees into, into <laughs> the rooms. That's all I'm saying. I can't say too much. I can't say too much. Yeah. I can't say too much. Get their um, registration yeah, numbers. Just, That's all I'm saying of their cars. Ah, uh, uh, yes. I'll try and get those free uh, Kias they're getting. <laughs> put, an, put an Apple tag on, on their cars. Just, let's just see where they go. <laughs> see they, they finish off as well, which would be great. But yeah, just more, just more reports, more games, you know, just the same old, same old, really. And hopefully more United wins is always nice. <laughs> hopefully it is, which is good. And um, Chris, talk to us about the footy culture. What you got planned up for the rest of 2023? Continue the great work. It's great to see you all doing so, so well. But what you got going ahead this year? Uh, we're looking to actually get some interviews with some Premier League players. We have one soon lined up. Ooh. Can't, really, can't really say it yet, but... Uh, In person... Not in person because we're still in Canada. So Ooh. hopefully one day we could eventually get uh, flown out to uh, England or wherever it is to have these interviews. But this is a first step. So we will. There'll be, there's big things coming. Just just wait and see. I, as Mbappe says, I will be there no matter what. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I will be there no matter what. So now nah, nicely done there. And I'm glad we got the exclusive on that one as well. So I'm waiting to see what yes, players we've got going up. Hopefully it's Anthony Marshall and you get to say, can you leave Man United please? And thank you. And that would be, <laughs> that would be a good way of going about it as well. But that's a good way to, to wrap up this week's episode of Friday Night Counter-Attack. Everyone, thank you very much for listening as always. It's a pleasure. Do follow us on social media. Uh, Instagram, we're nearly at a thousand subscribers. YouTube, we're nearly at 600 subscribers as well. So, do follow us do get involved do follow the footy culture and Chris below in the socials below do follow Joshua as well on his um, football commentator journey as he always does which is so amazing to see I know I told him to go and threaten referees at Sockley Pop but we do not condone violence no um, we don't of any sort as well we don't do that at all <laughs> no um, we don't as well, which is good unless it's on a football pitch and you want to nutmeg someone so it is what it is uh, which is great but uh, everyone thank you very much for listening take care and we'll see you all next week goodbye see ya See you.